All right, good morning. It's Saturday, March the 2nd. Um, welcome back to another episode of the Think Education podcast. Delighted to say today I'm joined by uh, British University in Dubai's doctoral student, Maxud Cruz. Um, and uh, he's going to talk about the fascinating area of research he's working on, um, some of his success thus far in already publicizing this research, and a little bit about his life as a doctoral student. So, Maxud, if you wouldn't mind, just um, could you just introduce yourself, um, just tell us a little bit about what it is you're, you're interested in and working on, please. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Chris, for giving me this fantastic opportunity to share my research, but also my passion for the neuroscience of giftedness. Basically, the story began way back when I was 13 years old, when I decided that I'm intrigued by that little sponge between our ears that <laughs> we call the brain. Mm-hmm. And I was always intrigued by the fact what makes people tick, why we do what we do, what are the bases of it, and how we can continue to understand this. And this is where I become more interested in the psychological science domain in general, but also focusing on the biological bases and specifically the neurological foundations. As I joined the British University in Dubai, especially in the special education and inclusion stream, I developed an interest into giftedness, what makes people unique with high abilities, what makes them actually even different, and also is there any neurological foundation for this? And therefore I began asking the question, what are the bases for this, how far does it go, and what it actually means? When I started my proposal at the very beginning, two years and a half ago, I actually was looking into the identification systems of giftedness. And I looked into the existing models, which are mainly psychometric, based on certain theories, based on how intelligence actually works, what are the certain characteristics and how it's being defined. But then I realized that there are many issues and challenges related to it from a psychometric perspective in terms of validity, reliability, and does it really reflect what intelligence is all about. And at the same time, I become become more interested in seeing how sometimes giftedness can be masked by different forms of challenges and disabilities. Looking into the twice exceptional, for example, where you have highly gifted and able individuals, but because of their other diagnosis of being, for example, autistic or ADHD, they're not being revealed and their giftedness is not being enabled. Therefore, I started looking into a different perspective. Can giftedness as such be identified from a more fundamental, instrumental perspective? Can neurological, basically, activity help us say if someone is gifted or not? And this is where I developed the concept of the questioning, can actually neuroimaging identify giftedness? Then I started exploring more and more into this sort of area to realize that this is one vast and interesting aspect. And in fact, there are different approaches to it. We have, for example, the approaches of educational neuroscience, and then the more wider hybrid domain of mind, brain, and education, in which we see the connection between the neurological basis and what neuroscience can advise, and the educational reality. Okay, so does, is this something that has an impact on the age at which this can be identified? Or is this, is this almost at birth? Like this is, when you're talking about neuromapping, it's an inbuilt reality. Is, is, that, is that what you've able to demonstrate or this is still what you're thinking? In fact, what I'm looking into 
that the existing data, especially the neuroimaging data, that is scattered around the literature for the last 20 years plus, looking into different areas of brain localizations, the prefrontal cortex, for example, or even looking at the different percentages in terms of the usage of the different brain activities, the comparisons between the right sphere, the left sphere, but also the interconnectedness between how gifted people actually operate at the brain level. Therefore, the real question for me is this, can we zoom out and start collecting the different pieces of the puzzle that would allow us to understand the neurological terrain of the gifted brain and start maybe come up with some sort of catalog, a guide that shows us how actually the gifted brain is distinctively different from a non-gifted brain in which can be yelled through neuroimaging techniques. And as such, whether it's built in or it develops over time because we know with neuroplasticity we continue to grow, we continue to adapt and there's always a relocalization of our own brain abilities, especially those unfortunately for example they suffer from certain injuries or concussions or damage of their neural parts of the brain, other parts of your brain can actually start to devise and develop their own new functions. Having said that though, for me, what was more intriguing is, can we in fact detect the differences between gifted minds and non-gifted minds through the neural activity? And can we? That's the question. That's the question. I hope I'll answer two years from now once I'm done. Fantastic. Okay. Well, it's good to have a direction. Um, and I mean, this would have an impact um, not just on the pure science of, of yes. observation, but presumably then in crafting the way in which gifted children, or gifted individuals are supported presumably right so it it will have an impact on pedagogy um learning theory etc etc um and because at the moment there is a decided gap in that area correct in fact there are several strategic implications of this kind of research and the direction that i'm taking so i claim the first implication is the tools used for early identification of giftedness so if it's wired through certain neural activity so it doesn't matter what age group and it doesn't matter what activity you're in and it doesn't matter what kind of other challenges or disabilities you're suffering from because once you are put into the test we can easily see that neural activity and therefore we can help many children to be utilizing their giftedness as early as possible and also unmask those who their disability is masking their neural uh, abilities and their high abilities depends on the different types of giftedness, whether it's mathematical, music or elsewhere mm -hmm. or otherwise. At the same time, the literature shows us in many ways that as we understand the differences in performance when it comes to the neuroimaging of giftedness versus non-gifted students, realize, for example, that the speed and processing between gifted and non-gifted is very much the same. What makes it different is that the gifted mind is able to connect different parts of the brain more efficiently. Therefore, the usage of the brain energy is by far much more sufficient compared to the non-gifted brain. So when we fast forward into the existing strategies of supporting giftedness, for example, acceleration versus enrichment, this makes us realize how much do we need to accelerate if the brain processing for the gifted is not that much difference, but it's how they utilize, how they connect the different parts of their brains and how they can access different neurons and connect them in a more efficient way.
Therefore, maybe enrichment becomes more the area that we want to focus on and or advise on how we can help gifted students to utilize their abilities more efficiently. So is the the process of this investigation um, a very, very technical, very, very expensive process to go through? I mean, or will there be sort of associated indicators that people can look for that can perhaps... Um, sort of shepherd towards? I mean, are, are we talking about, well, it costs 10 million dirhams and therefore the piece of equipment is, you know, there's Correct. one that exists in the entire continent. Yes. I mean, is, yes. that, is that the sort of level of, of initial where we're going to get to? The main purpose of the research is to have, at least at the preliminary level, at the conceptual level, is this doable or not? Okay. And in fact, can neuroimaging advise on it or not? Because at the moment, researchers are looking into the mapping of the brain activity to compare different forms of giftedness and compare gifted students with non-gifted students. And therefore, it's about the function, not necessarily about how we can identify or detect giftedness as such. Mm -hmm. So the implications are also not on the concept of giftedness and the neuroscience behind it, but also the existing techniques such as neuroimaging, uh, whether it's functional MRI or EEG and others, are they actually being utilized to become an identification instrument or not? If at the conceptual level, empirical evidence would support this direction, then we can have the second phase of the question, how we can make this available to the users? How can parents who want to know about their children's ability can look into it? But also there are many serious ethical implications, because if I would be able to be successful in developing an inclusive, but also very conclusive approach to defining giftedness, what does this mean for the non-gifted? Or what does it mean for the existing gifted children in gifted programs, who maybe this instrument shows that they're not really that gifted, they're high ability, but they don't actually achieve that. Most importantly, and this is how I mapped the journey of the research so far, before indulging into the empirical and exciting part of it, which is putting students or children or people through the neuroimaging process, I had to take one step back and ask myself the simple question, what does neuroscience tell us about giftedness in the first place? So we have multiple definitions, we have multiple approaches, the majority of them are associated with the IQ measure in terms of a specific psychometric test. But then what if the neurological basis of giftedness, the mapping of the gifted activity, shows us a different picture, a different phase of giftedness? Therefore, I realized that the step that I need to take initially, which is a foundational step, is to determine what does neuroscience tell us? What does gifted, how giftedness really look like from a neurological perspective, first and foremost? And can we actually have that picture, have that sort of model to be presented? Based on that, we'll be able then to formulate an entire concept, an entire thesis, if you may, to explore neuroimaging based on a neurologically based model of giftedness. And that was basically the understanding that I had of this entire process, that A, there is no neurologically based approach to giftedness or a framework or a model that can actually explain entirely or provide sort of an all-inclusive approach. Mm -hmm. And then based on that, we start to test, hopefully empirically, if actually neuroimaging can indeed identify giftedness based on the empirical data. In other words, 
In other words, what I'm trying to do is instead of starting from the existing literature theoretically that goes way back maybe a century, starting from Lewis Terman and Francis Galton and all the great names who look into individual differences and the essence of intelligence, I actually look at existing neuroimaging results over the last 20 years on all kinds of giftedness, variations of giftedness, and basically put these pieces together to try to map a picture of giftedness based exclusively on the empirical findings. And these empirical findings, hopefully, will create the model that will be neurologically based, and that in itself is groundbreaking, but also scary because it will shape, it will create a different understanding of giftedness and hopefully it will advise and hopefully it will also improve our understanding of giftedness from a different perspective and <clears throat> angle. Fantastic. I mean at the moment then our, our understanding of our I was gonna ask our understanding of giftedness, that understanding shifts from country to country or there is a a defined global set of parameters or I mean is that one of the issues that you, you tackle? Actually, that was one of the side effects of the study, that eventually it will have to question, do we really understand giftedness? Does mainstream scientific community and research on giftedness actually understand on the findings of the empirical data, of the neuroimaging data, and how we can synthesize all the neuroimaging data in a coherent process that allows us to finally see a picture from a neurological perspective what does giftedness look like neurologically? Now, the direct implication is this. All the previous attempts to understand giftedness purely from a psychological, social, educational approaches are basically part of our attempts to build a theory about what giftedness is really about. But in this case, what we are trying to do is to look into the empirical facts. As Kuhn once said, it's a fact-gathering activity rather than a theoretical activity that we hope that it will paint a picture different to what is previous. Obviously, there are many limitations to this approach and that line of thinking, and I would highlight some self-criticism to this. All the existing neuroimaging studies that looked into aspects of giftedness are based on the assumption that the individuals they are measuring are gifted. The question is, how did you determine that they were gifted? Well, it's based on the previous approaches, psychometric mm. or nominations or any form of approach that in itself is questionable. Right. Therefore, uh, therefore, maybe we are looking to a data from neuroimaging. <coughs> My apologies. No, no. <laughs> I got too uh, excited. Yeah, yeah. The hazard of podcasting <laughs> that we, we end up coughing all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes my neurons are faster <laughs> than my machine. And basically, it will allow, if this actually happens, to question even the validity of the performance of these individuals if the approaches in which they were nominated or selected or identified as gifted is itself under scrutiny. Mm. Another limitation, which is extremely important, is basically what does it really mean at the end of the day? So even if we identify the gifted and even if neuroimaging does show us this comprehensive map of what makes us uh, gifted, again, can actually giftedness be nurtured in a way that produces result? Hmm. If we look worldwide, there are hundreds of programs 
and many people who went through programs of enrichment, acceleration, uh, looking to the different institutions that actually foster and take care of gifted children, how many of those actually contributed to our knowledge or advancement as humanity? How much of these programs actually produced individuals who were able to take the human endeavor to the next level? Mm -hmm. And the question is why we haven't seen groundbreaking, let's say, achievements or results. Mm. On the other hand, yeah. there are many brilliant minds who were never even identified as gifted. In fact, they were looked at as losers who were able to contribute to the world by new inventions, new creativity, and also new products. Therefore, there is a fundamental need to understand what giftedness is, how to build that understanding on, and most importantly, once we know who is gifted and who's not, how we can help them to become the person that they're supposed to be, to actualize their ability, and hopefully lead in our ability to innovate, create, and mm -hmm. to move forward. Mm. Frankly, Dr. Chris, one of the maybe hidden motives I always had and for my passion for giftedness is the idea that every single invention, every single creative approaches that we've seen, every single product that we have was a gifted creative mind behind it. Mm -hmm. And therefore, imagine if we were able to utilize our resources and the direction of our thinking collectively as homo sapiens and the direction of utilizing the best of our abilities mm. that is vision and creation. Well, yeah, then the sky literally is the limit. So uh, I'm also really interested in, in what is, I suppose, relatively unique for a doctoral student in that you've actually had a fair amount of success in disseminating your both your passion and your ideas through sort of publications and, and wider dissemination. I know you've got conference presentations and papers. I was wondering if you could say, talk a little bit about how you've managed to convert the passion that's in your head into something, you know, that follows the academic structure of, a, of an article, because it's not an easy task no. to do. And then it's an even harder task, perhaps, to get somebody else to read that or to get it to be presented or published somewhere. And so I wonder if you wouldn't mind just sort of talking a little bit about how you maybe approach that and some of the, the challenges you faced along that way. It's based on two <coughs> simple steps. I knew what I wanted to do and I knew how to do it. Hmm. And therefore, it was this ability to look into what is actually missing in the existing literature and how we can build on it. And we have the classical approaches in academia, read, read, and mm. read. Indeed. And that reading continues. And therefore, it's being able to digest and comprehend the existing literature. And that's not something that I claim that I've read everything or comprehended everything, not at all. It's an ongoing learning process and a continuation of a journey of intrigue at multiple levels. But then the amounts I digest, I actually translate them into a written product that would qualify to be shared with others. Also listening to others' feedback, looking to the existing work that is out there and constantly testing and questioning if what I'm doing is actually in the right direction or not. Mm. So I approach the entire proposal from a very agnostic standpoint. I don't know the end results and I don't know if it's of any significance to others, but I do understand that there is an endeavor there is a piece of the puzzle that have not been explored. To give you another interesting example, many of the literature that is existing today on the uh, neuroscience of giftedness, if you may, 
they look into the wider spectrum of giftedness within the biological spectrum. So the role of hormones, the role of genes, uh, the role of the physiology of our human uh, body and how it affects our gifted approaches. And while these are very comprehensive and interesting approaches to giftedness, I think having this big comprehensive picture of the neurological aspect of giftedness has not yet been uh, explored Mm -hmm. nor produced again back to the community. Uh, Part of my research, for example, is bumping into an interesting application called Neurosynth. And basically it's an online brain mapping technique where basically you look into all existing neuroimaging data, uh, text mining, data mining, machine learning, and it can actually crunch all of that and produce for you certain uh, conclusions, certain results. And while Neurosynth is considered to be new uh, and has its own limitations, obviously, but there's a growing debate about we have a lot of neuroimaging happening, lots of research on different aspects, and if we zoom in into giftedness specifically and look into all the existing literature, can we actually come up with a picture? Can we map this and use these new advances in terms of data synthesis and also meta-analyzing all the text that is available, all the research that is available to come up with certain patterns that would identify where we are today and where we need to go in this research. Hmm. So it's a curious reality for a doctoral thesis that most doctoral theses are identifying the general field to narrow down to something specific. Yes. And in your case, you've identified the general field to narrow down to something specific, which is in fact a general mapping. So Correct. it's almost going macro to micro to macro again, which makes Correct. it makes it quite an interesting Correct. framework approach, I suppose. Um, and so you've had you've had some success with conference presentations and with publications, right? Do you want to talk a little bit about about those? Uh, well, I was very lucky to uh, obviously uh, join two important conferences within the doctoral student life within Buid. Uh, the first one was, of course, the Buid own mm. doctoral conference, where I spoke specifically about the identification systems of giftedness and looking into the different aspects available. Mm -hmm. Of course, it's tailored to the context of the United Arab Emirates and looking specifically on what are the existing identification systems, but then how we can develop a new identification system, a different identification system that will help us to improve our ability to have an early detection of giftedness, but also looking into the different aspects of giftedness in this regard. Uh, also, I presented in terms of the understanding of giftedness, in terms of what kind of models that we are looking for, and can we indeed develop a neurologically based conceptual model for giftedness based on the understanding of the existing literature? And can we map this terrain and can we work on it one way or another? And uh, in fact, I got too excited that I built my own blog. I titled it uh, Gifted, Gifted Neuron, basically looking into the neuroscience of giftedness in general and how educational neuroscience can actually inspire this sort of approach and looking specifically in the connections between all the existing literature. Frankly, one of the main challenges that I think uh, are a bit problematic because the existing data is huge to synthesize and to put it all together in a coherent way, that's a very huge mm-hmm. task. Um, having said that though, it's a necessary step. If we were to be able to map 
a comprehensive picture of what giftedness actually look like neurologically. Having said that though, we start we will start to realize that at the end of the day, all the existing efforts will remain narrow and localized. So there's a comprehensive amount of work on the gifted uh, and able individuals mathematically. But then what about other forms of giftedness? Mm -hmm. And what about forms of giftedness that are not necessarily associated with high IQ, especially within the artistic, uh, musical Mm -hmm. domains? And are, are there any sort of understandings in between? So I hope with this effort, which is too ambitious, to be able to a little bit zoom out look into all the existing neuroimaging data and see if we can come up with a picture that will help us to take it to the next level, which is then seeing if can actually neuroimaging help us to identify gifted students or not. Fantastic. So uh, not much of a big job ahead of you then, really, just something you can probably finish this week. Right? It's, it's, it sounds relatively easy, this massively ambitious <laughs> project that changes the entire landscape of understanding of a scientific field. Yeah, okay. I, I, I know I will need to be practical and, and very, very pragmatic, obviously. But to be very frank, my commitment and passion to the neuroscience of giftedness is not just within the scope of the current doctoral thesis, but I hope that the doctoral thesis will allow me to have the degree of confidence, but also being able to focus hmm. on one aspect of it that will allow the opportunity post-doctoral efforts and activities to maybe also continue in that sort of direction and start mapping and exploring different aspects. It's a a great attitude to have because the doctorate is often seen as an end point. It's, oh, I've got my doctorate and now that's that, when really it's it's a step (laughs) in a journey. Um, And often what's quite strange is that the actual content of a thesis isn't read by very many people, right? They're not, no. they're not massively widely disseminated. No. Not that many get published as a whole thing. People try to publish bits and pieces, but right. there's a joke in within academia that actually your doctoral thesis should be, as an academic, the least interesting piece of work you've ever done. <laughs> like, you, you know, you should build on those skills. Yes. Obviously, in your case, you're talking about creating a very real foundation, not just of interest and credibility, but capacity to then leverage that to almost a lifelong pursuit of research, I suppose. That is the hope. Mm. And, and frankly, uh, I've always been a scientist practitioner and always been the self-claimed uh, academic. You see, people sometimes talk about academia and the real world. I belong to those who think that academia is not less <laughs> real yeah. and rigorous than the what's so-called real world. Mm. Because at the end of the day, academia is a sample of our existence and reality. And everything that we do today in terms of the systematic (coughs) organized knowledge and our ability to build on our own understanding of reality is equally important and equally critical to all the things that we actually do. Mm. Therefore, for me, academia is in fact a process on itself that is not less realistic than other things, but in fact, it's more futuristic, and it is how things should be. Mm. I belong to the generation that enjoyed Star Wars, for example, where people talked about galactical... I can see that. Yes, yeah. everywhere. Stuff in my office. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm part of that too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so there was a time where people talked about galactical councils, mm. where people envisioned the future, mm. when people looked into different forms of connectedness, and I even argue different kinds of giftedness. When I look at, for example, X-Men, Professor Xavier, that brilliant 
uh, intelligent individual who created his own giftedness school mm. to nurture these gifted people. And the main scenario is, because you are different, no matter how brilliant you are, you're outcast. Mm -hmm. And therefore, the questions of inclusion, the question of what it means to become part of the society, accepted, but also endorsed, to be able to do what you do best. As Abraham Maslow once said, a musician must play, a poet must write, and a painter must actually paint, because at the end of the day, we as humans, everything that we do is about who we really are. Mm. And what I hope to contribute is to make sure that these beautiful minds are not being unfortunately put out of the process or looked down at because they're nerd, they're different, they're freaks, but in fact, they're part of the wider society and the human endeavor to progress. I think that's probably a very good sentiment on which to end, particularly as we've not just had a scientific review, we've had the, uh, several movie reviews to, to, to <laughs> make it part of popular culture, which, as you say, is inclusion. Correct. And um, it's such a bizarre reality where academia is called one thing and then there's the real world. And, and how ridiculous is it to put people through a system that prepares them for something to which they are not intimately connected? True. It doesn't, doesn't make any sense. No. Can I ask you one quick question before we go? And it's something, it's a, a curiosity I've had for a long time. And I've asked this of many people and I've had many different answers. What, in your view, would the collective noun for a group of academics be? Brilliance. Brilliance. That's better than I've heard. I've heard an argument. I've heard uh, a confusion. Um, yeah, I've, I've heard many different, different things. I'm, I'm always interested as to what, what people, people think that is. Yeah. Um, well, thank you very much indeed. And I thank wish you all the luck in the world with um, both your doctoral thesis and the completion of your current project. But clearly more so on the, you know, the endeavour to which you've obviously put a tremendous amount of energy and commitment. And, and I do very much look forward to having you on again in a year's time when we can hear some more results and then two years time when you've created a framework and five years time when um, we've got a new mapping system. So thank you very much indeed and, uh, and good luck. Thank you, Dr. Chris. And I have to acknowledge that if it wasn't for the British University in Dubai, this endeavor will not take place. And I have to acknowledge Professor Iman Jad, our beautiful supervisor, Professor Sufyan, who actually is the true manifestation of methodological thinking, <laughs> and also Dr. David Solomon, very organized, very visionary, but also you, Dr. Chris, for being a true inspiration, and thank you for making this possible. You're quite welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you.